Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Lord God, now in this moment, we would behold you by faith. We take the request that came up to the disciples in John chapter 12, and we simply say, we would see Jesus. By the presence of your spirit now, cause us to behold you, Lord, by faith, so that one day, one day soon, we will see you by sight. Strengthen our faith, strengthen our hope, strengthen our love, that we may behold you. Amen. We're going to open together this morning to Hebrews chapter 10, a special sermon on restarting the church because today is the day, what a day we get to open back up all of our adult Bible fellowships, our children's ministries, youth ministry started this week. This is, this is just the best. I counted it down actually on my calendar the last time that we had our ABFs and our children's ministries was March the 8th. And since then, every Sunday, all that hallway back there, the lights were off and it was empty. This was exactly 26 weeks that we didn't have those. This would have been week 27. And I'm so, so thrilled that we restarted all of that. We get that fellowship going, that ministry going. You know, the, the Bible says that for the church to grow is not dependent on like a one pastor or some pastors using their gifts. The Bible says the only way the church grows is if every single person uses their gifts to make the church grow. And that's why we create these ministries. So that kind of thing can happen. So I'm so, I couldn't be happier that this is happening. You ever, am I the only one that this happens to? You ever have this happen? You, there's something you're excited about and you are, you are so, 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 so excited about it that you start psyching yourself out with reasons why it's probably not going to happen because it's, you're so thrilled about it. That's actually the way I felt about Sunday schools and the nurseries opening back up. I ran into uh, a member. I was at the grocery store yesterday because they were having a sale on ribs at Pick and Save. And if that can't get you to the grocery store, you're beyond, you're beyond me helping you in any way, shape, or form. But uh, I ran into one of our members, Paulette, while I was taking the turn from, it's really nice. You get the chips and the crackers on one aisle and the very next aisle is the, is the flavored water. I think it's aisles 11 and 12. I could be off on my numbers there, but I was making that turn and Paulette was coming the other way. So we just stopped and yacked like you do in the grocery store. And she's, well, one of the first things she said to me was, I'm so, so, so happy that the ABF that I'm in is starting again tomorrow. And I said, and I regretted it as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, I, I'm so excited about it that I'm almost afraid it's not going to happen. She's like, what? Do you know something that I don't know? Like the church is, you're quitting? Or I was like, no, 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 it's nothing like that. <laughs> I was like, it's just that, you, you know, you, you get, I'm, I keep having these dreams like I'm going to drive up on September 13th and the roof would have caved in and the building will be condemned and we're not going to be, able, you know, it's not actually going to happen. But here we are, it's actually happening and this is such a thrill. And it's so important, it's so important for us to engage in these ministries together that this morning we wanted to pull out of the book of James and give a special sermon on restarting the church out of Hebrews chapter 10. Where I'm going to read from Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25. And as I read this, I just want you to look for three words. 
Faith, hope, love. You're gonna see the word faith in verse 22, the word hope in verse 23, and the word love in verse 24. And as I read this text, the, the whole thrust of this little paragraph is that we have three extremely important entreaties, three crucial commands. And he's going to say in verse 22, let us show our faith in this way. And then he's going to say in verse 23, let us show our hope in this way. And then he's going to say in verse 24, let us show our love in this particular way. So Hebrews 10, verses 19 and following. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Faith in verse 22, hope in verse 23, love in verse 24. And what you see there in verse 22 when he says, let us hold, or in verse 22 when he says, let us draw near with a full assurance of faith, you could mark that as personal sincerity. That each member of the church would have the full assurance of faith and that each one of us would have personal sincerity. But then he switches to hope in verse 23. And he says, hold fast the confession of our hope. Hope is his consistency and endurance to hold fast. So we could call verse 23 long-term integrity. I want you today to have personal sincerity in your faith, but I want you long-term to have integrity and in not letting go of your hope. And then finally in verse 24, when love is mentioned, it's one another, encouraging one another. So from personal sincerity to long-term integrity to verse 24, we have community reliability. We can rely on each other for the encouragement we need, the consistency we need, and the strength that we need. And so those three urgent commands, they cap off in verse 25 when he says, of everything that you do, he says in verse 25, here's one thing that you have to refuse to ever do. And here's one thing that you always have to make sure that you do. And he says in verse 25, refuse absolutely never neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some. But make sure that you always encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So refuse to stay away from the church assembly and be sure to encourage everyone else in the church assembly all the more. So I want from Hebrews 10 to, to draw from this text and other related passages four essential truths that we need to confess and cling to together as we restart the church. Four essential truths that we need to believe together as we restart the church. Truth number one, we need to meet together. That's it. That's the point. Very basic point. We need to meet together. Uh, for one word here, 
you could use the word habit or the word practice. The word habit or the word practice. We need to meet together. What he's talking about here is the assembly of yourselves together, the meeting together, the assembly together. Quite literally, he means it, it, the, the Greek word means meeting together. This little phrase is found throughout the epistles of the New Testament. I think in 1 Corinthians 11, when he gives the instructions on communion, I think this little phrase is found like uh, over a dozen times in that one chapter. But the little Greek phrase is, when you all assemble together in the same place. When you all meet together in the same place. I'm really here making a fundamental point about the church from a very incidental phrase in the text. The translators just, this is such an obvious idiomatic phrase that they just say when you're together. But this issue of the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering together, it seems so obvious. But what each one of these phrases means, and we find it in every epistle in the New Testament, is that, that the, the, the people in their bodies are assembled together in the same place. Which is just to say that we need to meet together Virtually meeting is not enough. Virtually meeting is not enough. Texting and calling on the phone is not enough. We need to meet together. The Bible insists on this, not because the internet had not yet been invented and there were no Zoom meetings or online church services. In other words, I don't know if you know this, but Al Gore came after 1 Corinthians and Hebrews. So the, the internet came later. But that's not the reason that this point is in the text of the Bible. It's not just a, a historical reason of anachronism. The issue is human bodies with skeletons and skin and eyes that cry and hands that embrace you know, those had been invented before Hebrews and 1 Corinthians. And he's simply saying that for the church to be an ecclesia, the, the people need to assemble together. It's such a basic point that we could almost fly past it, but the point needs to be made. And I want to show you a, a word that stood out to me in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. Man, I, lo I love, 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 love studying the Bible. And I even love going back and restudying something that I've studied before because there's always something new that stands out to you. You ever have the same lunch like four or five days in a row? Some of you, that would drive you crazy. I'm the kind of guy, I could have the same lunch. I could have the same dinner five nights in a row and it's fine. It's like whatever's in front of me, I'll just eat it. So let's say you got the same lunch every day. You got a ham sandwich, an apple, a bag of Doritos, a snack-sized bag of Doritos, not the whole thing, a snack-sized bag of Doritos, and a, and a Dr. Pepper. And you just have that every day, but the third day that you have it, you just crack open the Dr. Pepper, you take a sip, and you think, I love Dr. Pepper. This is so good. Even though you've had it every day, the Bible verses, I confess, they're like that to me. I've already read it, but this time when I read verse 25, I'm telling you, this word stood out to me, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. What a, what a profoundly human word for the Holy Spirit to drop into that text, as is the habit of some, as is the practice, the pattern of some. He's actually saying you have this constant habit 
of going to church every week. And if you neglect that, then it will become your constant habit to neglect that. So refuse to neglect it and instead habituate yourself properly. And we all sort of have that. We have that sort of unthinking, you know, when I, when I get in my car to come here to where I work, I go to the end of my street and I turn right to get to church. And every now and then, my first meeting, I'll be meeting someone out of the office and I'll have to turn, even though it's for church business, so to speak, I have to turn left and meet them somewhere else. And half the time that's on my schedule, I still turn right because I'm like, that's where I go, you know, and then I have to do an illegal U-turn and go the correct way. But, you know, it's like you just do things without thinking. I don't think the intention of the Holy Spirit here is to say you should just go to church without thinking, but... That's not out of the Holy Spirit's mind, I don't think, in this passage. He knows that we are human creatures who have habits. And he knows that if every week your habit is to do what it takes to assemble with the saints, that habit will position you well for the rest of your life. But he also knows that if you get into a habit one week, two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks of not assembling with the saints, that habit of forsaking the assembly will position you for pain and destruction. I think he knows that. And that's why he uses that precious little word, habit. I'm not much on statistics. I think, you know, most statistics are just somebody's fabrication of what they want to happen or whatever. So I don't know, but I've heard this statistic uh, probably three times on three different uh, pastor, Bible church podcasts or websites that I, that I listen to lately. And the statistic is that for churches like ours that are, Bible churches that are gospel-centered, that have our kind of ministry, the statistic is what they are predicting is from one quarter to one-third of the people who came to church before COVID are never going to come back. Now, I don't necessarily believe that for RBC, but we're not going to look exactly the same as we did, certainly not. And partly it's because of these issues of, of habits, So I want to exhort you along the lines of this passage to make it the habit to attend. Now, to to be very, very clear, like there's people right now that aren't attending that are watching this service on live stream. So to address very clearly the issue that we're at now with COVID, like I'm the only one in here without a mask. (laughs) You know, we're all dealing with this in whatever way that we can. So... um, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that everyone who's watching on the live stream is in sin and forsaking the assembly. I'm not saying that. And I'm certainly not saying, I'm certainly not saying that if you all are here, now it's your job to judge the sinful motivations of the people that aren't here and say, they're, they're just not here because they don't care and they're afraid or whatever. <laughs> you can't judge them. You don't, every person makes their decision based on a whole set of wisdom factors, so you can't judge them. But I am saying, and I feel a need to say, as pastor of this congregation from this text, uh, it, is, it, it, is a, it is very important to establish and maintain a habit of attending church every week. We, we talk about, I've argued with plenty of you, I argued with somebody today in, about the mask mandate. Like, why do we have to wear a mask? Blah, 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 blah. We, we can argue about the ma- mandate for this and that and the other thing all day long. 
There is a mandate in Hebrews chapter 10, and it is no governor that sort of shot this one from the hip. This is a mandate from the King of Kings, the one before whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. I mean, the angels will bow to him and all of humanity will bow before him and say he and he alone is worthy. And this is the one who has given us a mandate to never forsake assembling together with the people that he purchased by his own blood. That's how significant this is. Again, to, because I am pastoring and I love to be the pastor of part of our membership that is still just watching online and it isn't coming back yet, to be very, very clear. Question, are there good, legitimate reasons why a believer couldn't attend the assembly for a temporary season in his or her life? The answer to that question is yes, yes. Next question, are there wrong bad, illegitimate reasons why a believer would refrain from assembling with the saints for a season in his or her life? Answer, of course, yes, of course. So the next two questions, what are some good reasons and what are some bad reasons? Well, good reason, inability because of physical health or inability because in a situation like this where there's a dangerous um, a disease that might harm someone, maybe you're the primary caretaker of a, of a newborn infant or of an elderly individual or somebody else who, you know, based on medical factors, you want to be careful and, and you, you got to weigh all that out and think it all through. And that can be a good reason to temporarily refrain from the assembly. But even as you temporarily refrain from the assembly... I, I, I want to push you with this text to let the wisdom of this text weigh in as you make that wise decision of whether you go or not. Because this text is here and it's meant for our good. Are there some wrong reasons to stay away? Well, yeah. And one reason would simply be that it's a lot easier to stay home and watch the live stream than to come to church, right? Right? I mean, I, I have been cracking up because not one or two, but a whole bunch of young families have told me, you know what? We watch the live stream, but we're always late to the live stream. How can you be late? You didn't have to leave your house, but still they're late. <laughs> I've also been told, and this cracks me up, I've been told like, uh, well, I like the live stream because for whatever reason, I, I get more out of the preaching when I can pause it and there aren't as many distractions. And I've, those of you who have told me that, I've, I think I've said the same thing to everyone who said, told me that. And that is, I would much rather you get less out of the preaching and you're here assembled than that you get more out of it and that you're not here. And I certainly don't want you to stay home and just watch the live stream and then pause it when I make a weird expression or loop it when I say something stupid, which is likely. What is, what is a primary uh, reason, different than the context in Hebrews, but I would say today in 2020, a primary wrong reason that people aren't coming back to church yet is simply because they're lazy. They're lazy. Uh, in fact, I'll, I hope this doesn't anger you too bad so that you don't send me a Christmas card, but we have some of our members who have not come back to church yet and the reason is they're lazy and they need to repent and get back here. 
How, how can I possibly say that? How can I possibly know that? I'll tell you how I know that. I'll tell you how I know that. Because well over 12, 15, 18 of our members have called me or talked to me and said, you know what? I, I haven't come back to church yet because I'm lazy. They've told me that. And I'm not, say, I'm not saying it's members that are like, I'm like, who are you? I don't really know you. I, I've had, uh, our ABF leaders have told me that. Our board members have told me that. We're not talking about like, this is a crazy thing. Of course it happens. Of course it does. And it's a sin for, that we need to repent of. Now, one more question. What have I said to those of you who have told me, I haven't come back yet because I'm lazy. I know what I said. I said, if you are lazy, you are a trash person and I never want to see you or smell you or think of you ever again. Of course not. You know what I said? Well, I'm lazy too. And I lose my zeal for Jesus. And I need the assembly of the saints to keep me zealous for Jesus. And you do too, so come back. Well, I simply say to them, what is an actual fact? I will never make it from here to heaven if I am depending on my own strength. I might as well try to hold up the sun in the sky as get myself to heaven from today to the day that I'm there. The only way that I'm going to make it is if the hands that were nailed to the cross for me give me every single day the strength, the faith, the hope, the love that I need. And the way that Jesus gives me that is through his body, which is here, assembled. I'd never make it without it. So if you've stayed away because you're lazy, come back, come back. If you've stayed away because of a, a wise consideration of many reasons, that's okay. But I am urging you to reconsider those reasons week to week and month to month and tilt toward getting back just as soon as you can. That's the first point, and it's the it's the most obvious one, but it's also the one that we took the longest on for some reason. So we'll get through the following three points. The first point is we need to meet together. One word for that is practice or habit. Second point, second truth that we need to confess together. We need to encourage each other. We need to encourage each other. One word for this, protection. One word for this, protection. We need to encourage each other. This is Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to encourage and stir up one another to love and good works. Note, note that the reason you need to come is so that you can encourage others. That is a phenomenal reason that's given. And it's not the reason that we normally think of. Uh, you, know, you normally think, I need to go to church so that I can get something out of it. Well, it's not a bad reason. I want you to get something out of it. But we think so, we think so individualistically. And I think also we, we think so, we think so personally and so emotively and so pragmatically. Like, right, when we're going to watch something on TV, we don't just turn it on and see what's there. We get to pick what we want. When we shop on Amazon, we have so many preferences. And we actually think of church that way. We think of church individualistically and we think of church like our preferences. Like, well... I'm not sure that I need to go because I don't like that particular song that we sing or I didn't really feel it on that sermon that day. You know, the Bible does not call you 
to think of your obligation to the church in emotive or pragmatic or individualistic terms. Never, not once. The scripture says that you need to come because Jesus, by his blood, bought this family and Jesus wants you to serve this family. That's the reason. That's the reason. We need to encourage each other. If you'd go from Hebrews 10, go back to Hebrews 3, because this is a striking text about how we protect each other by assembling together. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Be careful, brothers. Take care, brothers. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He says there in verse 12, there's a danger that your heart will become unbelieving. And he says there in verse 13, that there's a danger that your heart will be hardened by the deceitfulness of your own heart and your own sin. And he says the, the remedy to that danger is to get around other believers in the assembly of the saints so that they can keep that from happening to you. We need to be here for spiritual protection. You need, you need the protection of the herd as you run toward Jesus Christ. I want you back here I want every member back here because I don't want to see an individual member, not one, gobbled up by Satan. You know about being isolated from the herd. We've all seen those animal shows. I used to watch them with my kids all the time and I'd cover my kid's head when the lion would do his lion-y thing. And I got to, maybe, maybe you've been able to do this. On my, on my first trip to Africa when I was with Dan and Joan, they took me out on the Serengeti Plains and there were a, a thousand gazelles, you know. They, at the end of that trip, they gave, me a, they gave me a spoon that was carved out of a antler of a gazelle, which I probably broke some UN law by bringing that here, so I'm not saying I even have that or that even happened. Delete that from the thing. But the, you, you, you've all, you, maybe you've had the chance like me to see it in IRL, but maybe you've just seen it on the animal shows. There's a thousand gazelles. And then as, a th as that herd of a thousand moves, there's maybe 80 that are going a little slower. And then a, that herd is moving, and then out of that 80, there may be 20 that are going even slower. And that whole thing moves, and then out of that 20, there's two, there's one, and the lion is waiting for the one. I want you to be here because the deceitfulness of your own heart, the deceitfulness of your own heart and certainly the ferocious, death-dealing claws and fangs of the devil himself are trying to grab you when you're isolated from the herd. This is why it's so important for us to restart our adult Bible fellowships like we are today. Certainly the singing of praises and the preaching of the word here is essential for your spiritual well-being. But also you need that one to another encouragement that comes with smaller groups of believers talking about the things of God together, confessing your anger to one another, confessing your confusion to one another and helping to answer questions, admonishing one another, correcting one another. We need all of that without the encouragement to persevere that's provided by the assembly of the saints. 
the risk that you'll be devoured by the lion is so much higher. And I don't want you to be devoured. So we need to be back together to encourage each other. The one word for that is protection. Third truth. Third truth. We need to be together to worship. We need to be together to worship. One word for that is purpose. What is the purpose for which we gather? We need to be together for worship. That's our purpose. We meet. We meet for God. If we think of church merely as what am I going to get out of it? What's it going to do for me? When God evaluates church, it's for him. We meet for worship. In Hebrews 3.12, remember like the lunch, the one thing about the, like I've, I've, I've read Hebrews 3.12 before, but one word stood out to me this week as I read through it. I, I just love going back to the Bible and seeing fresh things. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The living God. Beloved, we gather to worship a living God who is himself present and experiencing being worshiped. And he's so alive that he knows if you're here worshiping him or not. The living God. I just think we miss that sometimes and we almost gather together to confess the same ideas and kind of believe the same things. And of course, what we believe matters and sound doctrine, but we don't gather together because we're united by an idea or an ideology. We gather together because God is alive and he has mandated that we worship him. He's the living God. And when we gather together, we worship him. From Hebrews 3, you see worship in, in Hebrews 10 about holding fast the confession of our worship. But spin ahead to Hebrews 12. I want to show you this sort of almost a fascinating little glimpse into why corporate worship is is so important. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. In uh, Hebrews 12, he's going to talk about a, like, a, like a veil. Let me talk about it like a, like a roof. This, uh, I think they started the, the roof project this week. The board signed the contract to get our roof prepared, repaired. Um, this is, think of Hebrews 12 like, like the roof at... Um, what do you call it? Where the brewers play, Miller, Miller Park. Like the roof could, could open up. This is what he's talking about. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come. You who are here right now, this is the place you are. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You say, what does that mean, innumerable angels in festal gathering? Answer, I don't know what it means. I think it's intended to be there to make you go, I wonder what that means, and then make you go, the most amazing, fantastic thing I could imagine, it's better than that. It's better than that. All these innumerable angels in festal, in festal robes, they're gathered. And then he says in uh, Hebrews 12, 
picking it up there in verse 22 and 23. You've come to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He says there in verse 23 that when we come to worship, we are worshiping together with, he says there in verse 23, with the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. Our church members who have died in the last several months or the last several years. This text is actually saying that when we gather to worship, it's as if the ceiling is peeled back and our praises join with their praises and also join with the inexplicably glorious praises of the angels in, the, in, in their festal robes and all of that because Jesus shed his blood. Nothing that you do on a consistent basis week by week is more like the activity of heaven than gathering to worship God together with the saints. Nothing. I'm talking about things you do every week, habit, one day a week, one, one day out of the week. Nothing that you do on a consistent weekly basis is more like the activity of heaven than gathering with the saints to worship. Go all the way to the eschaton, right? When we get to heaven and we are there, we will no longer have to rebuke each other we will no longer have to confess our sin to each other. We will no longer have to help each other out of our struggles and, and, and our foibles and our failures. But when we gather together in heaven, the one thing that we will be doing is worshiping Jesus. This is what it's all about. I, I reread, I don't know why I was in it, I reread this week Psalm 22. Man, I, I love reading the Bible and I love how you see something that you've seen before, but a new part of it just shines out like a diamond. Psalm 22 is the psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross where he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in, the, in uh, three verses later, I think he says, my heart melts like wax and everything pours out of my body and I die. It's the, it's the, it's the psalm about the crucifixion. But I read it through to the end. And when you, when you get to the end of that song, there's like one, two, three, four, five verses at the end of Psalm 22 that say this, now that he died, now that he did what he had to do, now his soul receives the reward, which is the inheritance of the praises of the whole earth. This is why Jesus bled. He bled to save us? Yes. But why did he bleed to save us? So that he would inherit our praises forever. There is nothing that you can do consistently on a week-by-week -week basis that is more like what you will do in the eschaton when all things are made perfect. Nothing that you can do week-by-week -week that's more like what you'll do in heaven than to gather together with the saints and worship. Oh, we need to be together to worship. That's our purpose. And the fourth truth that I want us to confess together, and we, we, this is our heartbeat, we need to be together to witness. We need to be together for our witness. One word for here would be the word passion. 
This needs to be the passion of our ministry, that more disciples of Jesus would be reached, that more people who are lost would be found. We need to be together to witness. This is our passion. Hebrews 10 says we hold fast the confession of our hope. I think maybe it's a 2020 thing, but I think possibly that word hope is maybe the most precious word in the Bible in the year 2020. Nobody's got any hope anymore. Just look. Look at what, look at, look at what happened in Kenosha. Look at, look at what's going to happen this week. I don't know what it's going to be, but there, something on the news is going to tempt everybody to lose hope because it happens every week with more and more frequency. And we hold fast our hope. You know, it says in 1 Peter 3, like that verse about apologetics, it's like always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. I, I don't know. I think, I think sometimes we almost, we almost over-argue ourselves. Like to be a witness for Jesus means I have to be ready to argue with anybody about Darwinism at any time. I, 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 I want to be able to give reasons why the Bible says what it says, but the point of witness is not that you can, you can like argue somebody out of their ideology. The point of witness is that you have a living hope that they don't have. And if they have reached a moment of hopelessness and they see you with a hope that is alive, they can come to know Jesus. This is our passion. This is, we have to come together for our witness. Acts, we, we reopened Acts, I think, today in ABFs. In Acts chapter 2, he says, the church is filled with joy and filled with hope and 2,000 people are converted and join the church. A church that has no vibrancy, no hope, no joy, why would 2,000 people want to join that? It's the vibrancy of our hope and the, and the reality of our joy that brings, that brings people in. Think about that, 2,000. You ever buy a product? Of course you do. You ever buy a product on Amazon? If you are a thinking individual who doesn't want to get ripped off, what do you do before you buy a product on Amazon? You look at the reviews. So you click on it. Oh, maybe I want this one. And then you look at the reviews. And I've been tricked before because you look at the reviews, it's like five stars. And then I look and there's one review. I'm like, this is sketchy. What, this one review is probably the aunt of the person that made this thing, so it doesn't count. I want, I want to see a product with five-star reviews and with 2,000 five-star reviews, right? We need to gather together for the strength of our witness. That, that's what this means. Of course, I'm not saying that numbers, like the biggest church is always the best church. That's not, we misread numbers all the time. But it is certainly the case that every individual person who comes to RBC matters. You're not a number, you're a person. But see, the hope that's in you, because you're you, that hope now has an opportunity to radiate to the people in your sphere of, in the, in the people that you have a relationship with that the rest of us don't. And so we need to gather together for our witness. Because in a world that is so fractured and so hopeless and so falling apart, the world ought to see what, why would so many people go to, a, go to a church so early on Sunday? And why would they stay and even miss the kickoff of the first Packers game? What would motivate them to do that? 
And they need to see that it's not that, we're, it's not that we all have the same income level. It's not that we all have the same socioeconomic bracket or ideology about this or that or the other thing. The reason we're together is because Jesus shed his blood for us and he made us one. We need to gather together for the purpose of our witness. That's our passion. Hope is so persuasive. Listen, somebody loved Jesus enough and somebody's hope was in Jesus enough that they shared Jesus and his hope with you. That's why you're here on a human level. And actually somebody loved you enough and wanted to share hope with you enough that they shared the hope of Jesus with you. Church, don't you love Jesus and the hope that he has given us so much that you want to share that with others? And don't you love others so much that you want to bring them out of their hopelessness and into the glorious hope of Jesus? As we do that, this becomes our passion that more people would know Jesus. And then when they gather in here with us, it becomes our purpose to worship Jesus together. And that worship and our week-by-week assembling together forms a protection around us so that we're not devoured by our own sinfulness and by the devil, that old lion. This is why it is so important and so thrilling that we have an opportunity to restart the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us hope. Give us love and give us faith. Where we lose the confession of our hope, Lord, strengthen our hope. And Lord, where we waver in the faith, oh, strengthen our faith. And Lord Jesus, where in selfishness we think so individualistically and so pragmatically, strengthen our love that we might love you and love others. And so build your church into the beautiful, glorious witness that you're calling us to be. Jesus, this we ask in your name, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.